Good morning, church. Uh, this is it. It's our, our final week in the Gospel of John. I'm going to be, in one way, I'm going to be sad to, to be past it. Um, I think it has had great blessing uh, in the life of the church. I know certainly, uh, I just, I wish you all could uh, experience what I experience in being able to dig in and prepare week by week. When you go through a book like this, it, it changes you, it shapes your life. And it's why we as a church go through books like this, because we believe that in this way, God builds and shapes His church. We're going to read together John 21 from verses 18 to 25. This is Jesus talking to Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress and walk your, dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When G Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not going to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose, that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you again for this journey that we've been on. We thank you for your blessing and the life of the church. We thank you for a, a glorious gospel, a wonderful testimony about Jesus Christ. We thank you for how we have grown in our knowledge of him, grown in our love for you. And we pray again as we come to the end of this journey, that you would do it again for us today. We ask in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In his commentary on the Gospel of John, Kent Hughes tells the, the anecdote that supposedly comes out of the annals of Mideastern history of uh, King Cyrus, the Persian king, the once conqueror of the known world. Apparently, he had a general under his authority who's wife was suspected of treason, and she was tried before a great tribunal, and Cyrus was present for the trial. She was found guilty and sentenced to death. And after sentence was pronounced, the general made his way forward to Cyrus and made this request, King Cyrus, please let me take her place. 
And Cyrus, apparently in awe at what was transpiring before him, said to the court, Can we terminate a love as great as this? And so he paroled the woman to her husband. As they left the court, the general and his wife, he said to her, Did you see the benevolent look in Cyrus's eyes as he pardoned you? To which she replied, No, I only had eyes for the one who loved me enough that he was willing to die for me. The story and the devotion displayed by this woman for her husband only dimly reflects the love that we have as those saved and redeemed, ransomed for and by Jesus Christ. It dimly reflects the love that Peter had on that day 2,000 years ago as he sat across the fire from Jesus and experienced the grace and mercy of Christ. You cannot know this love and experience this grace, this forgiveness, and remain unchanged. You can't remain aloof or reserved or your own. Peter was forever changed. His life would belong to another. Three times he had denied the Lord. And so three times in Jesus leading him to a vulnerable state, three times Peter is allowed and afforded this opportunity to confess his love for Christ, to allow that to wash over what he had done. And into that three times Jesus commissions him, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And Peter learned that day what all of us all who have been redeemed and ransomed by Christ must learn in the words of Isaac Watts, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. By the time John wrote his gospel, Peter had most likely already given that all. He had followed Christ to the end of his life and been martyred most likely we believe in the 60s of that first century under Emperor Nero. And here at the end of this gospel, John has a few more words for us. He writes firstly to tie up this one loose end. Apparently this prediction that Jesus gave Peter about his end and the words that he had said about John had gone through a bit of a, a broken telephone process in the church and word had spread. Christ has said, John will never die, but he will return first. And so John won't have this unhealthy view in the church linked to the second coming of Christ. And so he writes to dispel this notion. He points out what Jesus did and what he didn't say. In verse 23, the saying has spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but... If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And so he dispels this notion. But he writes as well for another reason. And there is an important message here for us today as the church. It's a message for those who, who love Jesus. And it's a message about what it means to be a lifetime follower of Christ. And so we will learn this lesson I have three points for us today. The first is this. We are to be controlled by the love of Christ and follow without reservations. 
Follow him without reservations. What would you do if a prophecy like this was placed over your life? What would you do if you knew that your death was going to be a terrible one and that Christ was to be the cause? In verses 18 and 19, he says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And so the call for Peter would come at great cost to him. Most interpreters throughout the history of the church have seen in Jesus' words a direct reference, a prophecy of the way that Peter was going to die, a death by crucifixion. As early as AD 96, Clement of Rome writes about the crucifixion of Peter. And John puts it this way. He says, the death by which he was to glorify God, that was language of the time employed in specific mention of martyrs. He says, you will stretch out your hands. And the church fathers have understood this to be technical language of the day in reference to crucifixion. The victim would have their arms, their hands stretched out and tied to the cross beam, the beam that they themselves would have to carry to the place of death. But how amazing is it that Peter would have to live three decades of his life with this prophecy hanging over his head. And yet what effect did it have on him? Does Peter run for the hills? Sorry, Jesus, I'm out. That's too much for me. No, this is not a cost that he would consider too great. And he didn't live his life in a sheltered avoidance of danger. He didn't live out of fear for this prophecy. Peter lived with abandon. In the early days of the church, we see him preaching in the streets of Jerusalem and he's dragged before the Sanhedrin. And they beat him and say to him, do not preach again in this name. And the very next day, he's on the streets again preaching the gospel. Peter lived not with fear, but with courage. Acts 5.41, rejoicing at being found worthy to suffer for Christ's name. And so Jesus' prophecy here is not a punishment. It's not a torment. You denied me, Peter, so this is what's coming for you. I believe it was a mercy, a promise. Peter the strong, the one who had been so self-confident and self-sufficient, has learned a lesson there's nothing he can do without Christ. And his self-sufficiency is replaced with a dependence upon Christ. And he's told, Peter, there will be a day where your strength will be gone. You will be led against your will to a fate that you would rather avoid. But having once denied the Lord, he would not falter again. Peter will bring glory to God in his death. Is there more that he could ask for? Peter has many faults, and we see them still in Scripture. But he will follow Christ to the end because Christ will hold him fast. The promise of martyr's death was for Peter a merciful promise of the Lord's keeping. The Lord's keeping for all of his life. 
and martyrdom would be just the small cost, the small cost by which Peter would ultimately receive the unfading crown of glory. You know, in light of the, the 1689 study that we're going to be doing and have started in our home groups, that, that confession of faith, I've been reading and thinking about um, martyrs from that time in Britain's history. And I've experienced this reading in a bit of a, a different way this week. There's been a little bit of discomfort in my heart and in my mind, reading differently since, since my dad's passing. And I think because of the, the comfortable context that we're in, there's this danger in our lives that we might become entitled. And I've seen a bit of that in myself. How could you ask this of me, God? We become entitled. We think he owes us a particular lifestyle or freedom from suffering. And so reading these accounts, I've been slightly uncomfortable with what I've seen in my heart. One of those accounts is the account of Thomas Cranmer, who was Archbishop of Canterbury in the 16th century during the peaceful reign during the, the reign of King Edward VI. And during this time, he wrote the Book of Common Prayer, which became the, the primary, of primary use in their worship. Well, after King Edward was Queen Mary. And when she ascended the throne, she was a, a Catholic. And immediately there began a, began a brutal persecution against Protestant Christians. And many of the, their leaders died at the stake. Thomas Cranmer was one of them. And yet his story is interesting. He, he died in a way, or his story is similar to, to Peter's story. He would receive the martyr's crown only after great failure. Through pressure from the throne, Cranmer recanted what he had previously written in the Book of Common Prayer. He recanted orthodox faith saying again that the Catholic Church is right, I've been wrong. And yet, Queen Mary said, still he must die. She still wanted his blood. And so he would go to the stake. But before he went, he was allowed one more time, one more opportunity to speak to the church, to speak to the people. And they expected him there to continue in his recantation, maybe to plead for mercy. And yet when he spoke, he began to preach. He began to preach and confess again the truth. And weeping bitter tears, he lamented, I've written with this hand what was not in my heart and was for fear of death. And so he said before the crowds, my hand therefore shall be the first to burn. As the flames rose, John Fox tells us this is exactly what he did. He held out his hands to the flame and let his hand burn, crying aloud over and over again, this unworthy right hand, this unworthy right hand. And yet finally, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The death cry of martyrs like this is an indictment against the entitlement that exists in my heart. What is it for you? What is a cross too great for you? God, you better not require that of me. The path that led to the cross was not one that Peter tried to avoid. And when the moment came, the persecutors, Rome did not have control over his life and his fate. 
Neither did fear. There was something else that controlled Peter and controlled Thomas Cranmer and controlled indeed all those who have risked all and given up much to follow. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. I pose the question to you, what would you do if this prophecy was placed over your life? And yet, while we aren't given the same as Peter in a, a specific, direct prophecy of how we are to die, in one sense, we can take it to heart because Jesus has spoken over all of our lives. Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own life, he cannot be my disciple. John 12, 25, he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And Luke 21, 16 and 17, they will put some of you to death and you will be hated by all because of my name. See, we tend to live our lives, don't we, where we try to make the call of Jesus Christ, the commission of Christ, fit in with what we already want to do. I'm not saying it's bad to have career plans and dreams, desires and, and hopes for the future, even hobbies. But we get it wrong. We get it wrong when we treat the dreams and the plans and the hobbies and the desires and the families as first priority. And Christ's rule, His will, His commands as second in our lives. How often don't we see this in the mindset of the church? And the Christian life and the calling of Christ plays second fiddle to our social lives, our career plans, our health and our safety, even just our general comfort. Are there young people in the room? Young people, this week I was thinking about the, the lives of some of the missionaries. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot and Amy Carmichael all went to the field as single. All went knowing the possibility that the, the call to follow Christ to the mission field might imperil their chances of getting married or having families. Certainly of having lucrative careers. And yet their attitude was this. I seek first the kingdom of heaven. Unfortunately, what we see so often in the church is young people willing to compromise the commands of Christ. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's just one of them. Compromise His commands in order to gain what ought to matter less. Do we follow Him with unspoken reservations? that remove the risk of our Christianity and suck the joy of following Him and rob us of fruitfulness in the kingdom? What is the cost that would be too great for you? What would it be that would be asking too much from you? Kevin DeYoung tells the story of how he preached this passage early on in his pastorate in a when he got done preaching from this passage, a, a man came forward to him and said, I've just been diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, 
And so this is a real passage for me right now, Pastor. Later, this man would lose the ability to control his muscles, lose all control of them. He would not be able to stretch out his arms. He would have to be wheeled around by someone else. And yet, De Young says he, he carried that cost with faith and with joy, praising God all the time. And in that way, he even glorified God in his death. What is it that controls your life? Are you controlled by fear? Fear of missing out? Are you controlled by the, the comforts that you've amassed around you? Be controlled by the love of Christ and follow him without reservation. Your blank check on the table. Send me wherever you would. Number two, be secure in your identity in Christ and follow without comparisons. In these resurrection encounters, we keep seeing Peter and John in the same stories. And it's in an interesting way where their individual personalities come out. Peter seems like usual to be impetuous and passionate. John more thoughtful and reflective. Remember their foot race to the tomb where John gets to the tomb first but hangs back observing and reflecting it seems. It was for John the truth where the truth first dawned or began to dawn that Christ is alive. Peter rushes past John into the tomb all action and go. Again on the boat it's John when they see this figure on the beach it's John who realizes and says to the Lord it says to Peter it is the Lord. It's Peter who hears these words and throws himself into the sea in desperation to get to Christ. They are very different men, and yet, oh, how used of God they were each in their own way. Jesus loves Peter's and John's, Mary's and Martha's. At the end of this gospel, he calls them to follow in their own way, and their paths will be different. Their crosses to bear will be different. And we learn as well that uniquely we are called to follow. To, to follow him and run faithfully the race that is marked out for each and every one of us. In verse 20, it seems as if Jesus has gotten up from the fire when he says to Peter, follow me, and they take a walk down the beach. Jesus is speaking to Peter when he predicts Peter's death, and it appears that John has followed and he's heard this, and Peter turns around in verse 21 and says, Lord, what about this man? Jesus says to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me, Peter. And Peter's thinking, if my prognosis isn't good, what about John? And Jesus says, you mind your own business and run your own race. Peter here is, is not discouraging Peter's, I mean, Jesus is not discouraging Peter's interest in the welfare of others. What he's discouraging is the unhealthy habit that we have of measuring our lot against the lot of others. And we do it all the time. We compare, compare, compare because we are, are sinners. We struggle to rest in our identity in Christ, that He loves us specifically and His plans and purposes are, are good. If I can find somebody who's worse than me, I can pat myself on the back because look at me how great a disciple I am. Or conversely, we experience the paralyzing effects of envy in our vocations and our families and our ministries. What if my children don't have the same opportunities that, that theirs do? 
What do you mean her child can read already? Why can't my kids just behave like theirs? It's an identity crisis. Why isn't my ministry flourishing? Why isn't my church growing like that church? It's an identity crisis. We struggle to rest in our identity in Jesus. And because of that, we struggle to trust in God's goodness and His provision, even in the costs that we are called to bear. Why has he made following so hard for me? Why can't I be married like them? Or why can't my marriage be perfect like theirs? We are each in our own ways called to obey what God requires of us, regardless of the specific forms of obedience that he calls other people to. And all our paths come with crosses to bear. All of our paths, if we follow Christ, come with a cost it's not for us to bemoan the successes of others. Oh, it's not for us to bemoan the hardships that we have and they don't. In his book, The Horse and His Boy, C.S. Lewis beautifully illustrates this truth. In this book, the, the book about a boy named Shasta, and, and Shasta is, is conversing with the lion Aslan, who's the Christ figure in the book. And Aslan is recounting to Shasta all the ways that he had been working sovereignly in Shasta's life. And he says to him, I'm the lion who drove away the jackals while you slept. I'm the one who comforted you in the houses of the dead. I'm the one who sent a wind and propelled your boat while you were stranded at sea and sent you to shore in order to find help. And Shasta is listening to Aslan and, and reflecting on all of this and and then he interrupts and asks this question, but it's a question about another character. Then it was you who wounded Aravis? It was I. But what for? Child, said Aslan, I'm telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. And that is all well and good, but sometimes we feel like wounded Aravas, the one wounded by Christ on the, the path of obedience and discipleship. The cost you bear today may be a great cost, but can you trust that the same good sovereign who has had the lives of all of his children throughout the history of the church in his hands, can you trust that he loves you today? And that he rules in your life as well. And right now, in whatever hardship you face, can you rest in this? I am his. I am loved. And he is good all the time. Be secure in Christ and follow without comparisons. Run the race that has been marked out for you. Number three. Believe in the greatness of Christ. And follow without regrets. Believe in the greatness of Christ and follow him without regrets. We saw last week that this miracle at the beach, this miracle of the, the massive catch of fish, it mirrored the first miracle that Peter ever saw when Jesus called him to follow. Said to him that day, follow me. And he says to him again after the repetition of this miracle, again, follow me. The message has not changed. But what has changed is Peter, what Peter knows about Jesus. He's seen Jesus perform many miracles and teach many things. He was there in Gethsemane. He was there at the arrest. 
Peter had denied Jesus, but he'd seen Jesus rise again after his death. And he's come to experience unimaginable grace and love. And here is Christ again calling him and saying to him again, and still follow me. And Peter knows more now what that will cost, what it will cost him. But he knows more fully the one who he is following. And he knows that there could possibly be no cost too great. And so he will go on to give his life to Christ and Peter will live without any regrets. And John would have you and I make the same informed decision today. The same decision that Peter made and that John made and that all the disciples made. And so he has a couple final words for us in verses 24 and 25. In verse 24, I believe he's speaking in the the royal we. He's speaking on behalf of the, the community of faith when he says about himself, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. We know it today still that John's testimony is true. He has written about some of the things that Christ has done and some of the things that he spoke. He has put in writing some of the glory that they all beheld, that it would take hold of our hearts and change us today. Through the Holy Spirit, John has given us a beautiful gospel, a glorious account of Christ And yet he knows and acknowledges the limitations of his words. You cannot capture the glory of Jesus Christ, the word of God from the beginning in all the pages of all the books of the world. So he says in verse 25, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now, we may today wish that there were more, that we could turn the page and John would go on and there'd be more and more. We may wish that there'd be more in Scripture said about Jesus Christ, but we know and believe that everything that we've been given is enough. It's enough for life and for godliness. John has given us only a fraction of the the miracles that Jesus did. These seven glorious signs in the first half of the book to point to his glory, the changing of the water into wine, the healing of the royal official son and the healing of the paralytic, the feeding of the 5,000, his walking on water, the healing of the man born blind, and finally the, the raising to life again of Lazarus. But there are many other miracles written in the other gospels alone. And John spent a lot of time, you remember the journey that we went on and that culminating sign, the epitome of love, the means of our salvation, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a journey that was for us. And even were we to spend our entire lives contemplating it, the glorious truth of his sacrifice, we would only scratch the surface of that glory. As we sang today, could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every tree on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And think about what John has written about who Jesus is in this gospel alone. He is the word of God from the beginning. 
He is the word from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is our comforter. He is the King of Jews, the Jews, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the bread of life and living water. He is the light of the world. He is the door and the shepherd, the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. He is our Lord and our God. And expand that to what the scriptures say of him. He is Emmanuel, God with us, the Christ, the last and greater Adam. He is the faithful one, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the bright and morning star. He is our advocate, the one who makes intercession for us. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the precious cornerstone and the bridegroom of the church. He is the head of the body. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the horn of salvation. He is the great I Am, the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Lamb that was slain, worthy of all honor and blessing and glory. He is our mediator, our ransom, our rock and our redeemer. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. He is the Savior the Son of the Most High, the Son of David, the Son of Man, the Son of God. He is the Son of Righteousness that rises with healing in its wings. He is the one by whom all things were created and He is the one in whom all things are held together. He is the image of the invisible God, the just one and the judge of all men. He is the branch and the root of Jesse. He is the rose of Sharon and the promised seed of Abraham. He is the chief shepherd and the overseer of your soul. He is the Lord of glory, the Lord of righteousness, the Lord of lords, and the Lord of all. And yet, as as Isaac Watts wrote, join all the glorious names of wisdom, love, and power that ever mortals knew, that ever angels bore. All are too poor to speak his worth, too poor to set my Savior forth. Do you believe this about Jesus Christ today? Christ is worth more praise and honor and glory than you could give him in a million lifetimes. And his love and greatness go beyond our comprehension. And ultimately, his splendor and his worth is more than enough for our eternal joy and satisfaction and happiness and blessing Our eternal purpose, our endless goal, our unending journey of discovery is to know, to love, and to see this King in all His beauty. And so when the call to follow Christ comes with great cost, with loss, and with danger, and with risk, and that question appears in your heart again, is it all worth it? The words of David Livingston are true, who sacrificed many things, to go on mission in Africa, he said, I never made a sacrifice. I never made a sacrifice. Whatever the cost, it does not compare. It's my promise. It's John's promise to you today. It does not compare to the joy of gaining Christ. And in this gentle reminder to Peter, he gives us all the promise that we could ever need. If it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? You follow me. He is coming back for us. And there will be a day where our faith is made sight. Where every sacrifice on the road 
of following Him, every sacrifice made in the faith of the sufficiency of Christ will fade away where every single tear will be wiped away and will result in unending joy in Him. And so as the church today, together we declare with yearning, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the salvation that we have in him. We thank you for this wonderful gospel that you've given to us as a gift for your church, for the building up of your people. And we thank you for the journey that you've taken us on. We thank you for John who has held Christ up before our eyes that we would see some of his glory, just a taste, a measure of his glory. We ask that you would help us to see, open up our eyes. Lord, if there are those in this room who have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good, I pray, Father, that you would reveal Christ to them today. And God, I pray that as we leave from here, that we would see him still and that we would choose, that we would choose Jesus over comfort, that we would choose obedience to Christ over compromise. And I pray that you would keep us close to you. Amen.